Hello, comic creators. Welcome to this week's episode of the Comics Connection podcast, where we go in-depth about all of the business, legal, and creative issues that affect comic book industry and comic book publishers and comic book creators. Andy, how are you doing as a comic book creator, comic book publisher, and all of those things? This is awesome. This is awesome. All the things we're going to talk about today just make everything easier for everyone. So I'm very excited. Uh, Okay, well, I'm detecting a hint of sarcasm, which is good because <laughs> we are not necessarily talking about the greatest thing in the world this week. Uh, the first thing we're going to talk about, well, basically, we're, all of the things we're going to be talking about are strikes and labor actions, which is everybody's favorite topic. We are going to talk about them specifically as they relate to the comic book industry, even though in some cases they are. They're much broader issues when you're talking about, you know, workers' rights and the economy and everything else. The first one we're going to talk about is one that we've kind of touched on before, the one that started in May and continues, and that is the WGA strike uh, that is affecting writers for all Hollywood TV and film projects. Um, Andy, the thing that I wanted, I wanted to talk about two things in relation to the WGA. The first one was how it actually affects the people who are Hollywood writers who now realize they can't work on their, you know, on the films and television shows that they were working on before and are looking into kind of maybe shifting over to comics to try to see if they can get some of their creative projects off the ground in that medium as opposed to, you know, pitching it to studios. Now, I know you have quite a bit of experience dealing with um, Hollywood and trying to get projects off the ground. So what is your position on those creative people kind of migrating into comics? Um, so this is pretty fascinating. And I actually had a conversation with um, a long in-depth conversation yesterday with my manager and and she was really comparing it to the last big writer's strike, which was mm -hmm. what, 2008, I think. Yeah. And uh, she said that there's a, this one's different. Um, the, the, the ways that it is different um, as, as, as it relates to what we're talking about is that because of the advent of social media and everybody's on social media now, in 2008, you could kind of go, okay, I'm going to, I might have this path into comics. Like a lot of screen, a lot of a lot of people write both. So if you're a screenwriter that occasionally writes comics, you can kind of go, I'm gonna lean over here a bit. But because so much of this is on social media, there seems to be a little bit more hesitancy, maybe a little bit more backlash, you know, if you're seen as somebody that's like kind of trying to like avoid the strike, even though I don't think that's the reality of that situation, but like if you're sort of seen as like going, if I'm going around the strike. Um, not going around the strike to make movies, but, you know, to make a living, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I think there's, there is a lot of fear of, of like for writers to go out and be like looking for work really kind of at any time that's in similar sort of space. Um, the fear of looking like you're, you know, not fully committed to the strike or, or, or whatever. So there's this weird thing, mm. I guess it's not that weird like i get it but that's a real thing and so there's um there's there is a hesitancy whereas in 2008 
a lot of people did exactly what you said, which is, all right, well, I'm going to go take some time. I got some time off. So I'm going to go do this other thing that I'm interested in doing or I wanted to do or whatever. Um, and that seemed like it was easier in 2008 than it is now. Um, largely from sort of self-imposed pressures, so to speak. Um, okay. And there's a lot within the, within, and I, and I, and I like this about the comics community. There's a lot of like solidarity within the comics community. Even people that aren't in the WDA are, are, you know, are, are sort of taking up the fight. You know, even if you don't live in LA, you're, you're posted on, on your, your social self support. I think that's been really helpful. And we're starting to see now some productions are starting to shut down because they're like they're running out of script. Right. Um, there are probably a few more that are that are coming, but there's also the the possibility that the actors are gonna go on strike. And yeah, the actors and the directors, I think. Yeah. So if that all happens, then then everything shuts down. Like, I mean, that's that's kind of the whole kit and caboodle of the work. yeah, I think everything would shut down except for whatever's in post production. That could, well, actually, no, because if they have to do reshoots or things like that, they still need the director and the actor. So, yeah, you can't even do that. And there's, I mean, look, I, there's a lot of, there's a lot that I really agree with from what the writers do on this um, uh, argument that, that I think is very solid ground mm -hmm. to flag on. Um, but, I mean, it's terrible when, when the ripple effects of this are terrible. Right, like right. production being shut down, like your gaffer, you know, on set is just like, well, I'm, I'm out of work now, and like mm -hmm. that's terrible. And so I hope that all parties involved, you know, realize that there is a real human hole with these things. And sometimes, unfortunately, you have to fight, even though there is that human hole. Right. Uh, so hopefully, hopefully, there's going to be some resolution that can that can keep people in paying work. Uh, well. I think when you're when you talk about like the the ripple effect, that ripple effect is only going to become more pronounced and more widespread if the actors decide that they're going to go on strike and that the directors decide that they're going to go on strike because that actually has a ripple effect for literally all of Southern California in terms of economic impacts because it's not just movies aren't being made, it's like food is not being eaten, which means restaurants are losing money and drivers are not driving. They're losing money. And there, and are, there, are, a lot of like, there are a lot of little Hollywoods, you know, Vancouver, right. Atlanta, uh, Kansas City has like a robust little, you know, mm -hmm. there. Um, you know, New York, obviously. So, yeah. you know, I mean, it definitely, it stretches far beyond that. Um, so anyway, that's just sort of my like, hey, I, I feel the plight of the writers, but you know, I'm hoping for a resolution relatively soon just for people, for, for humans. Uh -huh, but uh -huh. I also don't think that that means that, that they should cave either. So uh, yeah, I mean, that whole thing is tough. But that's sort of looking at it from like screenwriters kind of making their way over to comics. I think that there's just more hesitancy uh, to do that, you know, some some folks can pivot really well. You know, um, I just looked at my email. There's an email there from Chris Gage. You know, he is a very accomplished working Hollywood writer. But he's also a very accomplished working comic book writer. So I don't think for him it's 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 that hard for him to go. Well, I'll just lean a little bit more into comics. Like, I don't think that's 
because that's very much a part of what he does anyway. So that yeah. doesn't look weird. I'm just kind of using his name because it's sad to be in my email box. Yeah, yeah. Um, like Straczynski also, I guess the, he announced he's going to be doing Captain America, and he's been one of those guys who's bounced back and forth between comics and TV for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I do think, so one of the things that was really interesting, because the whole reason I had my call yesterday was to talk about several projects that CEX and Comic Experience represent in Hollywood, and that was that was the whole crux of that conversation, was what can we move forward like, are we stepping on toes? Like, we don't want to have a bad look on us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, all that kind of thing. And so, you know, there's a thing in Hollywood called packaging. Where you're like, you try to get a writer, an actor, and a producer, and a director all attached to a thing, and you go sell the whole package. Like, mm-hmm. you do this. Um, and, you know, that's a little, that's hard to do, you know, without a writer. And you don't mm-hmm. want to, you don't want to ask a writer to put themselves in a position they're uncomfortable in, saying, mm-hmm. you know, I can attach to that, even though I can't work on it. Like, how how are people going to feel about that? Um, and so we were having those conversations. There are things we can still do, which is kind of ultimately where our conversation moved to is well, what can we do so we can at least keep moving things forward, but in a way that is still supportive of, of the strike. Um, right. But that's more difficult too um, than than usual. And you you got to make sure you don't accidentally step into a, a briar patch. Or, if that's not the right patch, thorny patch. I don't know. Some kind of. Patch I think briar patch is. I think the patch. Yeah, because we're we're city yeah. kids. I don't. I don't know. I think it's briar patch, but let's just go with that. Um, yeah. the other thing, and that's something that you you just brought up, which I think is also important to understand about the writer strike and the comic book industry, is that for all of the companies, especially the emerging independent companies that built their business model on getting options and getting, you know getting movies and TV made from their comics to justify their comic book ex- the, the existence of the company. The WGA goes on, is on strike, or the directors go on strike, or the actors go on strike. All of those productions stop, and that means all that pipeline of money coming into those companies stops, which makes it hard for those companies to maintain their existence, especially when you take into consideration on the other side, venture capitalists and other investors have started to tighten up on the money that they're giving to comic book companies, especially ones that were based on this kind of maybe movie model. So if they can't get money from Hollywood and they can't get money from investors, then you're going to see, I believe, a significant number of companies built on this model that is going to find it hard to stay afloat because they are not generating enough revenue purely from their comics to keep the lights on. Yeah, that's fairly common for publishers. I do think there's a, I think there's a fairly common misconception that that comic book publishers are like swimming in money. Uh, <laughs> they are generally not. Um, this is a fair point. I don't have a Scrooge McDuck ball on the other side. <laughs> there's, there's, there's I, I might have a Scrooge McDuck. Ball. Uh, well. Well, we actually had a couple classes in Comics Connection, over, especially right around the WGA strike, trying to explain to people what a, a shopping agreement was, an option agreement, a purchase agreement, trying to let them know how much you really get if your film, if your comic book becomes a film or television show, and how that money gets divided, how much you actually wind up with. And the crux of it is, even if you get your film, your comic book, 
option for a TV show that doesn't automatically like move you into the Hollywood hill. That it may be a case where you're not getting that much at all relative to how much you put into getting the comic out. But if you want to, you know, look at the the in-depth analysis we had on that, you got to join Comics Connection and check out the um lesson. I want to move on to the next strike that is going to impact comics maybe even more directly. And that is the, I believe it's the West Coast Longshoremen's Guild. I forget which number they are, but they're the individuals who remove and um cargo from ships that come into port, put it on trucks so then those trucks can go off across America with whatever is in the truck. Um, the reason that this impacts comic books specifically is because a lot of publishers take advantage of lower printing costs in China and Korea and in other countries. And all that material gets put on a boat and it goes into the West Coast ports. So if there's nobody to take the stuff off the boat, then it doesn't get off the boat, which means if you have a shipping date or a street date or anything like that, where your comics are supposed to be on shelf or you're supposed to be delivering comics to your backers, you may run into an issue that you have no control over. Andy, I know you run a printing company and a distribution company and you are a publisher. So I'm assuming this doesn't affect you at all. Not one bit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So one point of clarification is it is it the 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 workers did an informal labor action. So it was just one day that they decided mm -hmm. to not show up to work. There's they're not picketing um and they're they're back to work already. Um now it could escalate from there. Mm -hmm. Um uh so I think the impact from what happened is quite minimal, right? If it escalates and there's a full-on strike, then 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 we're in then we're in real problems. But um, the other thing that's interesting, and you know, when when we're printing books, they're they're coming in and then we're shipping them out from there. So um, is that actually getting the 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 um, the containers off of the boats and sort of distributed out? There's actually mm -hmm. very little of that that is hands-on human labor now it is mm. done almost by robots at this point um so so specifically with that area that's not to say there's not a lot of labor going on there is but specifically in unloading and loading that's not that big that's not that big a problem going from there where they unpack the containers put those on trucks and the trucks are coming in and out lots of human labor there so so mm. i mean it gets clogged in like the next step but in terms of of boats and obviously if they're if it's getting clogged leaving then eventually it backs up and the boats can't unload but i can tell you that during the pandemic um they started assessing everybody's uh um congestion fees which sounds mm. great um and, and even though a lot of the congestion from the pandemic is pretty much gone at this point like all of those fees have not gone anywhere like they've stayed which is super great so when you look at your comic prices and they all went up by like a dollar and you're like inflation and then you choose whichever politician you want to blame for inflation that day mm -hmm. or that um 
the reality is like that's not inflation that's just that's just a cost that's been levied on on goods um that unfortunately gets passed on but um but yeah so there's that whole thing is a mess the real problem the ongoing problem right now with uh printing and shipping and publishing and distribution is the trucker shortage in the united states which is a massive shortage right now there are some other mm. things compounding it a little bit but there's just a massive shortage and that's driving the pricing of shipping up i mean um there's some months where we we're we're paying quadruple what we paid just three years ago so many truckers left that industry there just aren't the trucks so then the trucks are like you want me to prioritize your pallets over that guy's pallets pay me twice as much and that has just kept going up so the the trucker um the trucker shortages are a real problem. That's also why, um, that's one of the reasons why different comic shops are getting products on, on different weeks is, mm -hmm. is because uh, trucks simply don't show up to pick up pallets right now. Like just, you book them, they say they're gonna be there. You can even pay for guaranteed, but guaranteed only starts once they pick it up and they don't guarantee they'll pick it up. So. You know, I know a lot of publishers are having trouble because they're trying to serve multiple distributors so that they put, get the content, get the books out to all the stores at the same time for the same on sale day. And it's almost impossible right now because you can't control when the trucks are going to come pick up your books. Mm. Now, uh, that's all very high level fun stuff to talk about. You remember when we used to talk about drawing comics, Kamal? How much fun that was? <laughs> Yeah, well, we we we've kind of got to the space where there's so much going on, and I don't think there's actually a lot of different places online where these kind of things are getting discussed. So the burden falls on us to provide the people with what they need. But what I wanted to ask you was, and some people may not realize this, but there's three basic different types of printers you can go to if you decide to print your comic. There's Local, there's regional, well, yeah, there's local, regional, national, there's international, so there's four. What we're talking about right now is international um, printing, where the books come from Asia into the United States. But Andy, how much of the trucker shortage and the, all these other costs are still in place, even if you're talking about national, regional, or local printers? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's kind of the bottom line is that's the, that's the real problem. Mm. Um, you know, there were delays for a long time, you know, at the ports, right? So what, what used to take 10 days from, from we print in Korea, got an awesome, uh, uh, plan in Korea that we, that we have a great partnership with. Um, it used to take 10 days from when it would leave Korea to when it would arrive in, in, uh, Long Beach. Uh, and then that got stretched to like over a month at one point. And that's all, that's all kind of worked itself out. Like that Ooh. particular Gordian knot has been untied. The, the one we're all struggling with is, is domestic U.S. overground in a truck shipping. That's the, that's the real problem right now. Um, which isn't to say that there are occasionally issues in other places, but, but that's the one consistent one. And so even if you're printing, you know, domestically, you're still having that same problem. Like uh, we do some domestic printing. If we do like a short run of a book or something like that, or an 
exclusive with a high dollar thing. It's more expensive to print domestically. Um, then, you know, we'll do that. And we've had stuff where the manufacturing took, you know, less than a week. And then we waited two weeks just for a truck to arrive to pick it up. And, you know, I get email updates. They're like, still waiting. We stayed till nine o'clock last night thinking this truck was going to show up, but it never did. Um, you know, and I, I mean, I, because I am also in that business, I very much feel their pain. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, you know, I think, I think I at least don't, you know, get angry at them because I get it. Uh, I know it's out of their hands, but yeah, that's a real, that is the biggest thing. Now you don't, don't have that problem as much with large distributors that own their own fleet, right? If the mm -hmm. company owns the trucks, then, then they may still have time trouble staffing the drivers, but you're not going to have as much of an issue of getting them all out at the same time. As long as you can staff your drivers and you own the trucks, you're fine. But for all those trucks that are independently owned and independently run, they're making a lot of the decisions about what gets picked up and what doesn't, not the company that's hiring them. Um, mm. So it's uh, it, it's very unpredictable right now. And I find that I'm, I as a publisher, as a printer, I'm often apologizing to people because, hey, they didn't come pick this book up for a week or two weeks or whatever, uh, and totally out of my hands. Uh, and then also I'm sometimes having to update distributors and go, hey, you're gonna get this book like two weeks, one week, three weeks before this other distributor, can you hold on to it? To make it more even, or am I just apologizing to the other distributor? Again, we booked those to go out the same day. But one got picked up and the other one didn't. And uh yeah, it's very frustrating. And it's um it makes it makes all of our jobs. It makes the jobs of the distributors, makes the job of the well, obviously the people shipping, makes the job of the printers, the publishers, it makes all of the retailers, it makes all of our jobs more difficult. Mm. And it's all yeah. but done away with the idea of the books come out this day that you know i grew up with i went into the shop every wednesday and i knew exactly what was coming out mm -hmm. and now depending on which distributor you, you went with it may be a different day mm. so is it well two questions one does that mean like the we are slowly moving away from the wednesday warrior concept where you know that you're going to get books on wednesday um well, there's already a big dent in that from from some publishers are, are putting their books out on Tuesdays. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's, you know, shops are supposed to embargo at least certain books for certain days. And then some, some shops honor that, which is awesome. Thank you. Um, and then other shops don't. And then when that creates, you know, inequity and a problem and... Um, you know, I've just sort of taken with CEX, like we just don't embargo books. When you get them, put them out. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because I don't, I, you know, I don't want somebody doing the right thing getting penalized. So just don't do that. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think maybe, you know, the fact that you can buy books online now and like there's, people don't want to wait around for stuff the way you know, like, again, like when I was growing up and I was into comics and I was searching for comics that were hard to find because I wanted to read them, mm -hmm. you know, like there was some fun to that, to going and searching that out and finding them. And nowadays, you know, like that's like a few clicks of a, on the computer and like I found it. I may not want to pay that price for it, but I found mm -hmm. it. 
and so if that has just changed a lot. Um, so I think if you miss something at the store one day, I'm sure a lot of people just go online. They find it online. They might prefer to buy it from their store, but then if they don't have it when they want it, they'll go find it somewhere else, which again is a is a paradigm shift in the whole direct market model because the direct market was really founded on this idea that the books weren't going to be returnable because the only place you were really going to be able to get them was those shops. And mm -hmm. now that may not be quite as true. Yeah. Yeah. Which actually leads to the next question. Is all of this slowdowns with the truckers and the containers and everything else, how is that actually impacting sales at the retail level? You know, I don't have a good answer on that one. Um, I don't, I don't know. Um, some retailers that that I talk with or or that I'm in groups with online say sales are pretty healthy. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of them have talked about how they've adjusted their orders uh, and their ordering habits. I, it seems like there's more and more retailers are saying we're just buying for subscribers. So you have to come into the store and say, I want you to order that and I'll buy mm -hmm. it. And if you don't, then they don't order it or you know, if they've got a couple people to come in, three, four people to come in and say, I want that one, then maybe I'll order a copy or two for for their, you know, new comic wall. Um, but I can tell you, I can usually tell, I think it is guesswork, when orders come in for our books on the publishing side, there, there are these like gaps, like I never get a number in this range, like between mm -hmm. this and this, I never see an order number in there. And my guess is, that's the difference between shops that are ordering a couple of copies, not ordering a couple of copies for the, for the shelf. And those are here. It's just subscription and shops that are ordering copies for, for the shelf. And so there's this, like, there's this gap in here in terms of order numbers. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously it's not like all comic shops collectively decide, you know, one thing, but there is this like strange gap that I'm, there's almost never a number in between here. So I'm selling somewhere in this range and not at all in this range. And then I'm selling anywhere up here. Um, and, you know, those are the things that, again, it's, it's all, um, it's all stuff like I'm trying to like put together in my head. So it's all, what's the word for that? Not circumspect, but um, I can blanket on the word. Um, but yeah, it's not, it's not hard data that I'm analyzing. It's, it's sort oh, of. Oh, it's anecdotal. Yes. Anecdotal. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's anecdotal, but that seems to be, that theory fits the evidence that I have. Okay. All right. Well, we, we shall we shall see. We've got one more topic to cover before we wrap things up. And this is another, it is not a strike, but it is a um, potential labor action. Image Comics, the, um, I guess, third largest publisher in U.S. comics, has a, their employees formed a union, I believe, back in March. Well, now that union has actually initiated its first um, allegation of unfair labor practices, and they have sent these allegations to the National Labor Relations Board, and it um, alleges several things, including that Image is, since the union was um, developed, that Image, as a the management of Image, have actually initiated certain actions, disciplinary actions that are unevenly um, distributed among employees, 
unfair policies, specifically targeting people who are part of the union bargaining committee and other nefarious capitalist activities. Um, when I read it, this story came, came to us from ICV2. It sounded like stuff that publishers have done all the time. And the only difference is now there's a union so that the union can actually complain to someone. Andy, you worked at publishers directly for publishers a lot longer than I did. So what was your take when you saw this, um, you saw this article? Um, my, my initial <laughs> reaction was, yeah, that sounds about right. Like, I mean, I hate to say that, and I, and I've never worked for Image, so I, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know. Like, I've helped edit a couple of books for some friends, but that's mm -hmm. by no means working there. Mm -hmm. uh, so I really have no idea, like, what has gone on, you know, behind those closed doors. But, but yeah, I mean, when you don't have a union, and you're not incentivized as a company or as the publisher or whatever um you you're not incentivized you've got so many other things to do that you're not sitting there going how can i make sure everything is super fair for everybody mm -hmm. and that just opens up cracks for unfair practices to to come in and that doesn't mean it's malicious i mean it could be i mean i've certainly heard of places where uh labor unions get formed and then there's pretty drastic uh backlash from companies that are fighting it. I mean, that certainly is a thing that happens. I don't know if that's happening here or not. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, unfortunately, like you, I kind of feel like I read that and was like, pretty sure I've seen that in mm -hmm. multiple places. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, but I agree. I, I mean, I like the fact that there's a labor union that can now be like, that can now put somebody's feet to the fire when that needs to be done. That's good. Yes, I think the downside is, well, the downside is not for the actual employees of Image, because what I think people need to understand is the Image Union actually covers the direct employees of the company. What it does not cover is anyone who works on a freelance or creator-owned basis who are producing books for Image. So the writers, artists, colorists, letterers, production designers, all of those people are all freelance. They are not part of the union, which brings up the issue, and it's an issue that's been discussed in comics for about two or three decades, is why doesn't comic book creators, comic book writers, comic book artists, why don't they have a union of their own to protect them in the same way the writers and directors and actors do in Hollywood? Um, there's quite a few reasons from a legal standpoint why I think there is no union, but I think the main reason is a in, in terms of economics and geography, because in most other narrative forms of art, everyone has to kind of get together in one place or in a few places to make that thing. So it's much easier to organize people and it's much easier to keep track of, well, who's doing what work? And then if, so if you have a labor short stoppage or you have a strike, you can actually make sure that like, you know, all the writers 
are not working for the all these um, companies that have signed on to these to these labor agreements. Comic books is not like that because comic books are geographically dispersed production media, which is just a fancy way of saying you can be living anywhere in the world and make comics, which means that if all of a sudden, let's say all of the artists in America decided they were not going to, they were going to stop making comics until the comic book publishers decided, well, we're going to work with the unions. All the comic book publishers would do, and they would do this within 72 hours, is they would sort, start sourcing all of their art from other countries, where A, the cost per page is lower, and B, there's no threat of a union. So I don't think comic book creators, at least at this point, have the leverage to form a union the way writers, directors, actors did. Andy, does that make sense? Makes total sense. I mean, I think I think you were there too, uh, but at least when I was at Marvel, they decided they were going to start outsourcing almost all. It was not all, but almost mm -hmm. all of their coloring mm -hmm. to uh, to a, a, a I don't forget what they were a graphic design firm or something like that in India because they could get the pages in. You know, they could just crank them out because they had a whole building full of people, I guess. Mm -hmm. there. So it was way less expensive and they just kind of did it. And I don't know if that was in reaction to colors complaining about their page rates or, or what, or if it just, you know, was just a company going, we could drop the bottom line. Now they wound up pulling away from that, not because they love the American colors so much, but because uh, the editorial staff um, almost revolted because you know, I remember I was having to go back with color notes like half a dozen times per page to mm. get it to look up to snuff. And I didn't feel like, you know, after six months, it's not like I felt like this was getting easier. Like I didn't feel like whoever it was I was dealing with was learning mm -hmm. how to do this properly. And that's partially because I didn't know if it was different people coloring each page or not. Like I didn't have that level of insight. I just knew I was sending notes to one email address. Um, and so, yeah, we, you know, our hours like went up exponentially and so we were, we were ready to throw a revolt and eventually the management was like, this is not working. And they went back to paying, uh, you know, to paying higher rates to people that could actually, you know, had been trained to do that job. It's not that, it's not that people in foreign countries are, are worse at a thing than, than folks in America, but they've been trained, they had experience and you mm. know about storytelling in color, whereas that's not what any of those uh, those graphic designers have been trained for. Mm -hmm. so that was just like a micro example of that like happening and, and like Marvel could have stuck to their guns and kept on doing it and I don't know exactly what would have happened but probably their coloring would come from that and you know some people would have quit editorial and they would have been replaced by younger guys that cost less and and uh, you know Bob's your uncle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think what what we're going to see I do believe we're going to see more unions formed within the comic book publishing companies themselves, but I don't, it's going to be quite some time, if ever, you're going to see unions developed of like the comic book artists 
union or the comic book writers union or anything like that, simply because of the nature of the way comic books are made and how they are put together. So that's going to do it for all of the very fun topics that we talked about in terms of the comic industry today. Thank you, Andy, for joining the party with me. Um, all of super the, fun, Raul. Thanks. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, all of the links to the articles that we referred to are going to be in the show notes. There's also going to be a list of all of the upcoming classes for comics experience workshops. And these are the actual fun classes where you actually learn drawing, dynamic figure design, coloring, editing, all of that stuff. So definitely check those out. And of course, there's going to be information on how to join Comics Connection on our Discord and our live Zoom classes and all the other information we provide. So until next time, have fun with your comics.